Starting to understand your body is the first step in really making peace with it. And so the more you start to track and normalize what you're feeling and give yourself the grace of what is my body trying to tell me versus like, oh, my cycle's the worst and I hate my body and it's falling apart or, you know, whatever horrible things we've all said. We change the game. We take our power back and we start to observe versus judge. Welcome to a Healthy Push podcast. I'm Shannon Jackson, former anxiety sufferer turned adventure mom and anxiety recovery coach. I struggled with anxiety, panic disorder, and agoraphobia for 15 years. And now I help people to push past the stuff that I used to struggle with. Each week, I'll be sharing real and honest conversations along with actionable and practical steps that you can take to help you push past your anxious thoughts, the symptoms, panic, and fears. Welcome. You're right where you're meant to be. Cassandra, welcome to a Healthy Push podcast. I'm so happy to be sitting down with you to discuss anxiety and the menstrual cycle, which is a topic that I know my listeners have been wanting and looking for for so long. But before we dive in, I'd love for you to just give a personal intro to who you are and what you do. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, My name is Cassandra. I'm a naturopathic doctor and I specialize in women's cyclical health. So menstruation, hormone fluctuations, all of that is what I help people uh, overcome and achieve every day. And um, it rooted from my own personal experience with my menstrual cycle issues, not getting any answers, you know, being told birth control was the magical fix. And of course, it was not the fix. And it really set me out on this like 10 year journey of understanding women's biology, why we're all so in the dark about how our bodies work, um, and how to actually help women feel better and achieve healthy periods and feel balanced in their hormones. Awesome. I love the work that you do. I just have to say, I've been following you for (laughs) months on Instagram. I listened to your podcast. It's super helpful because I think much like mental health and the platform that I share, I think we don't learn enough about menstrual health and menstrual health ties directly into your mental health. So I love that you're, you know, sharing the content that you do and just your wisdom. And I, I know that it's going to be beneficial for so many, especially my listeners and relating to anxiety. It's such a huge pain point for so many people. So this will be such a good discussion. Yes. So let's dive in. So many of my followers share with me that they experience a lot of anxiety either leading up to when they start bleeding or when they're actually bleeding or even some even after. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really curious just to start off really basic. Is this a thing? Like, is it actually a thing to experience anxiety in relation to your cycle? Yes, 100%. So if you're listening to this and you're like, what's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. It's very, very common. In fact, women are two times more likely to experience anxiety in general. So we know that it very much interplays with what our hormones are doing. So in a minute here, I'm sure we'll go into the specifics of that like luteal phase and the period and why anxiety can be heightened. But yes, it's unfortunately really common. And I think most of us firsthand know exactly how it feels. Yeah. And I'm glad that you're sharing that it's so common because I know in my journey with anxiety, panic, and agoraphobia, I often felt, especially the week before I started bleeding, it was like the worst. And so let's start. I I would love for you to just start with um, the luteal phase and just give a description like what is it and how does that directly correlate to anxiety ramping up uh, before you start to bleed? 
Yeah, great question. So if you didn't know, your luteal phase is that phase right after ovulation, but right before your period, it's a 10 to 14 day phase for most people. So it's like half of the month for a lot of us that maybe have a 28 to 30 day cycle. Um, So what that means is if your luteal phase is really challenging, half of the month can feel really challenging. And so we can feel like we have a lot of PMS symptoms, breast tenderness, we're irritable, we might have crying spells, and we can certainly feel really anxious in this phase. It's important to note that the luteal phase is really dependent on what happened earlier in the month. You know, I know in Western medicine, especially, we like to compartmentalize everything and act like nothing correlates to anything else. But unfortunately, the body's not that simple. Everything is a direct, you know, outcome of what happened earlier in the month. So the luteal phase following ovulation means it really depends on if ovulation happened and or what was going on, if progesterone itself was even made. We can go more into that whole thing in a minute. But if you ovulated in your luteal phase, you'll have made progesterone. So progesterone is that hormone that's most active in this phase, and that should give you a sense of calm, should help you feel good, and it should be protective against anxiety. Um, Now, if we didn't create progesterone, this is where we have, um, it's safe to say, a pretty awful luteal phase where there's a lot of symptoms. We may feel extremely anxious all month um, and find that the period itself may be like a respite to get away from these intense symptoms. So interesting. Yeah. I know that I'm going to learn so much and I'm going to ask so many questions. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that the big, one of the big pain points for people that struggle with anxiety, panic, and agoraphobia is that they're struggling with symptoms. Like they're consistently struggling with symptoms unrelated to their cycle. And then when it comes time, you know, before you bleed or while you're bleeding, those symptoms ramp up. And like you're saying, whether progesterone is present or not, that can have a factor. So assuming, you know, from the majority of people that reach out to me, they're saying that it's pretty terrible. Like the anxiety that they're experiencing leading up to their cycle. I say leading up to their cycle, but it's really like leading up to you Mm -hmm. bleeding and during Mm -hmm. and during menstruation that is really the worst. And I know that the the symptoms create the most challenging um, experiences for people. So why, why does it happen? Like, why, I know the progesterone is a factor, but are there other factors that play into why anxiety ramps up? Yeah. So the hormone piece is a significant piece. Um, so like I said earlier, that they say t- women are two times more likely you know, to have anxiety or agoraphobia um, to begin with. And so it's a big hormone fluctuation that happens in that luteal phase that couples in the anxiety and the PMS to make what could be that perfect storm. And especially if our hormones are already in a stress state, which unfortunately is true for a lot of us, or we are on hormonal birth control, or we've been on hormonal birth control, that transition can be extremely difficult. And so um, this is interesting. There was a study in 2008 that showed that women um, who already stated that they had agoraphobia or uh, panic attacks, they were they noticed that their symptoms worsened by 50% in that luteal phase. So it's exactly that transition. So with ovulation, estrogen plummets, and then slowly progesterone becomes the star of the show in the luteal phase. So it's that exact transition or the lack of, if we didn't make progesterone, that sets us out on this really tumultuous roller coaster. So the two hormones, maybe I should say three, the three hormones that I look at when women come to me with either severe PMS or PMDD or anxiety disorders is I'm looking at their cortisol. So I want to know how stressed the body is. 
I want to see if they're making progesterone. And I look at testosterone too, which we tend to think of that as a male hormone, but it's incredibly important in balance. One of the key things that deplete testosterone is hormonal birth control, which is why a lot of us are put on the pill for, uh, say, things like acne. So most birth control pills are anti-androgen, which means they drop your testosterone, which is why they're, quote, effective in masking your symptoms. But what else is that doing long term, right? Like that's the stuff nobody wants Mm -hmm. to talk about. Like, hey, by the way, when you get off birth control, you're not going to have a sex drive. You're not going to feel good. You're going to have no energy. You're going to have anxiety. Sorry. You know, that's like the end of the discussion. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about um, cortisol? Because I know that's something that a word that's often thrown around in relation to anxiety, and there's so many different um, roles that cortisol plays. So can you talk about the correlation with the cycle in anxiety and, and cortisol? Yeah, totally. So cortisol, we think of as a stress hormone. It's made by your adrenals, which of course are those little glands that sit on top of your kidneys. And cortisol itself, its basic function is just to keep you alive. And so we have to think of the body as kind of a primitive system in that your body doesn't know the difference between a lion trying to eat you or a really upsetting email from your boss, right? It reads it the same way, fight or flight, something's going to eat me, I'm going to die. Um, So it's very primitive in that way, right? It doesn't know how to differentiate the unique stressors that we're all under in today's world where it's not a lion that's going to eat us, hopefully. (laughs) You know, it's it's other things like work stress, the world, you know, politics, like whatever. That's the stress that we're under. Um, So in your menstrual cycle itself, cortisol is naturally lower in your follicular phase and your ovulation phase, which is why most of us tend to feel pretty good and be more symptom-free early on in our cycle. And why anxiety probably is not as prevalent. Now in that luteal phase and period phase though, cortisol is naturally higher. And so we're already at kind of a predisposed state to be tipped Mm. over the edge. And maybe a lot of us feel that, you know, if we had something go on on day 10 of our cycle, maybe we can brush it off. No big deal. But it happens on day 20. It's the end (laughs) of the world. We're freaking out. We're anxious. We're sad. Um, Totally different reactions. So these are the kinds of things I wish we were all taught, right? Because then we can know how to work with our biology. The, you know, the simple fact is that you're going to have a hormone transition in your luteal phase. Cortisol may be more, um, more prevalent. It could just naturally be higher in the luteal phase. And rather than seeing that as a limitation, now we have the awareness on how to work with our body and how to avoid these pitfalls, um, while certainly ideally also working to balance our hormones where this is also going to alleviate a lot of these major symptoms. Okay. So let's talk about that because I know people are like, all right, well, what is the stuff that is like actually going to give me some relief and make this stuff a little bit better? And (laughs) it's super helpful to just have a general understanding because I know when I – I think it was a nutritionist back when that I had talked to and she actually started – telling me the different phases. And I had absolutely zero understanding of my menstrual cycle. And it was super helpful just to understand the phases. And like she'd given me, you know, some slight recommendations that really helped and went a long way. So I think a big piece um, that's missing though, when people are struggling with anxiety, panic, and agoraphobia is that they're 
forgetting how important it is to take care of your mind and body. Mm-hmm. And it's not, of course, just when your cycle creeps up and you're like, oh my gosh, I know that I'm going to start feeling horrible or I feel horrible and maybe my cycle is right around the corner. But it's so important to have that focus and the knowledge in general um, that will help you for when you know your cycle does come up and you're, it's not as terrible as it could, as it might be. So if somebody is wondering like, where do I even start? I have a high level of anxiety leading up to my cycle or during my cycle. What are some practical and actionable steps that somebody can take to hopefully decrease the anxiety that they feel around their cycle? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. And I like what you mentioned too, that We can't wait till we're in that moment of panic on day 27 to then look for a lifeline. Ideally, we start taking those steps earlier in the month to get ahead of it. And so I think what you Mm -hmm. said was really, really potent there. Um, I'll get into the like, like micro action steps in just a second. But I just want to point out the act of ovulation and that that's like a piece we can't overlook in this discussion. Um, and a lot of people just assume they're ovulating or they maybe track their cycle with an app and they're like, well, the app has a green line, right? So I'm (laughs) ovulating all is well. It's possible you're not. Even if you say you live a healthy lifestyle, you feel like you eat pretty good. You feel like you exercise. It's shockingly common how many women have anovulatory cycles, which just means you didn't ovulate. You can have a regular period and not be ovulating. So don't just assume you're ovulating without that real data There's really no way for us to know for sure if you are. Um, But remember, if you're not ovulating, (laughs) you're not making progesterone. And so that's going to be exactly probably why you're matching all the low progesterone symptoms like breast tenderness, PMS, anxiety, depression in your luteal phase. You never got that surge of happy hormones that are supposed to lead you through that phase uh, with as few symptoms as possible. So you can learn how to track ovulation. Most people just use a basal body temperature or a thermometer, and you'll be able to learn how to notice how your temperatures changes. So it's it's really, really easy. There's really no reason to not do it. Um, And especially if you're wanting to avoid pregnancy or get pregnant, you need that data anyway. So that's a huge piece to this. Okay. Um, In terms of uh, hormonal birth control too, it's something to look into. There is a huge prevalence in anxiety disorders among women on birth control. So we know that that definitely messes with your receptors. It affects you on a brain level. So there's even an interesting number of MDs that are realizing this, that we can't just give women birth control for literally every little thing and expect it to magically fix them, especially mm. when it comes to you know our emotions, anxiety, panic disorders. It's not doing anyone any service. Um, most of the time to be on it. So if you're on birth control and you're like, wait a minute, talk to your doctor and maybe find a different option or learn how to track your cycle. It's You don't have to be on it if you don't want to. Um, okay, so in terms of other little tips, they may sound really simple, but um, extremely, extremely helpful. The first is just eating enough food. And that sounds really simplistic, but if you're walking around eating 1,200 calories a day, you're not eating enough food. That's enough calories for a four-year-old. Mm-hmm. So if you're not four, you can't eat 1,200 calories a day. So um, let's just leave it at that. But um, this is where working with a dietitian or a nutritionist or a naturopath or something can be helpful. But you're likely starving yourself, which is putting cortisol through the roof, which is going to turn off ovulation. So we're really just setting ourselves up to, again, have these horribly anxious uh, halves of the month. And then we're like, oh, but I don't know what's going on. Well, it's like you're missing the basic foundation, right? 
mm. for your hormones to even function. So if you're eating enough and prioritizing quality sleep as well. So in terms of happy hormones, going to bed before 10 p.m. is pretty vital. So again, those two things sound simplistic, right? But like, how much would your life change if for two months you went to bed early, you started eating, you started eating breakfast mm-hmm. instead of skipping it or living on coffee, you would have a night and day difference uh, in your luteal phase. Like yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you talk about those small things because yeah. that's it's the same too for anxiety recovery. There are so many mm-hmm. basics. If you're not supporting your your mind and your body, you're not going to have the best chance um, to yeah. actually tackle the really hard stuff that you're up against. So I think it's huge. I can definitely attest to my diet. I used to eat maybe 1200 calories. And I think that was based off of, you know, I'm, I'm small, I'm tiny. I thought, you know, Hey, that's enough. And I don't know if somebody threw that figure out at some point and I was like, okay, but I wasn't eating enough and I wasn't pairing the right foods. I like didn't eat protein. I, you know, matching them with the appropriate, you know, carbohydrates, just, I was skipping breakfast or eating a granola bar. That was like my Mm -hmm. routine and like just understanding that like your body needs to be sustained in order to function and you need to give it enough so that it's able to thrive. And I'm glad that you, you know, mentioned the small stuff because that's the small stuff goes a really long way to support you. Exactly. I feel like people get mad though. They want like the sexy like vitamin or the cool supplement, you know, and you're like, (laughs) I wish it was that easy, but you can take the best supplements in the world. But if you don't sleep and you eat bad Mm -hmm. or you don't eat at all, like nothing is going to change. That's the sad truth of it. So. Yeah, no, it's so true. And, it, and so often you're looking for a quick fix, right? Especially when you're struggling with an anxiety disorder, you're like, please give me something that is going to give me relief. And we often overlook the very simple things that do give us a ton of relief. So it, it's really important. I'm glad that you're touching on those things. Yeah. So once those foundations you know, are looked at, your sleep, your food, self-care, ideally, um, then we can look at the other options. So B vitamins are shown clinically to be very, very helpful with anxiety. You can get that from some of your foods like nutritional yeast um, or bee pollen. All of that has a lot of B vitamins in it, or you can supplement if you'd prefer. Um, Vitamin C also can be really helpful. So if you're eating enough citrus throughout the day, you're probably good. Otherwise, you can do like a rose hips capsule or something like that. But again, these only are effective if the foundations are being addressed. I don't know if you've ever talked about GABA on your podcast, but that, you know, is shown to be helpful. However, it's important to know your body relies on progesterone to utilize GABA. So an amino acid, you know, helpful for those neurotransmitters. It can be very helpful with anxiety, but generally only if progesterone is already present. And so if someone has anxiety and they're not ovulating or their periods are missing or something, that probably wouldn't be what I give them because it's probably not going to work with their own biology. However, if you are ovulating, you are making your progesterone, GABA could be an amino acid to consider. It's, yeah, I feel like if you Google, like, what do I take for anxiety? GABA is always like right here. (laughs) Take me. Gotcha. Well, that's helpful to know. So I don't want to not ask this question because I know this is something I'm personally curious about. I know like the basics like hydration are really important. Mm -hmm. Is there a role that caffeine plays, especially in the luteal phase? Is it something that can make the anxiety worse or does it really have no effect? That's a really good question. 
I don't know research wise, but I can tell you with the women that I see in my practice, there's a huge correlation to it. And so um, especially if we already know someone has a caffeine sensitivity or if PMS or anxiety are, are something we already know is a chronic problem for them. What I have my clients do is avoid caffeine, say like day 15 onward. And I know that sounds depressing for people that really like coffee, <laughs> but honestly, if we're on the healing journey and we know that we're sick and tired of feeling sick and tired, I think mm. usually we're kind of like, I'll do anything. And it's a nice opportunity to play with different options like teas or chai or, you know, whatever you want to do. But there's definitely a huge correlation. And I think it's also because of that cortisol presence. The cortisol is already higher. The system's already a little more stressed. Mm-hmm. And now if we're dumping more caffeine onto it, if we're already in an imbalanced state, our hormones are already in a sense of fight or flight, it's like gas on the fire. Yeah, that's good to know because I definitely had struggles with caffeine and mm-hmm. I ended up eliminating caffeine from my diet, not to, in an attempt to get rid of the anxious feelings, but I actually found that it, it helped to do that. Yeah. But it also helped me to sleep better. It helped me to actually have more energy, like I have more sustained energy without it. And I know that caffeine is such a hard thing to give up because yeah. I used to be the, the black coffee drinker. Like oh I just like the taste. <laughs> I didn't drink it for any other reason. But when I removed it from my diet, I was like, oh my goodness, like more energy. I feel better. My body's not, it doesn't feel like my body's relying on something. And two, yeah, I wasn't adding flames to the fire where I was already feeling anxious. And then I was just like, here, let's, (laughs) what's a little bit more. Exactly. Yeah. I'm so glad you're sharing that because I think that's so relatable. I think everyone has had their like obsession with coffee and it is hard to give up, but you're showing that it is possible. Oh yeah, for sure. So you hit on this a little bit. I know that when I first started to look into learning more about my cycle, just tracking my cycle was something that I found to be helpful um, because I think a lot of when you struggle with anxiety, a lot is like um, worrying and anticipating and like being afraid of the unknown and what's coming and things are already hard enough and you already feel like you're, you know, enduring the awful symptoms day in and day out. And so I was constantly just like, okay, what can I do to get on top of it? And when I heard about cycle tracking, I was like, okay, what is this? And I was a little skeptical, but do you mind just talking about if you believe, you know, what your thoughts are on cycle tracking and maybe how it could actually help to reduce anxiety? Oh my gosh. Cycle tracking 10 out of 10 recommend. It's (laughs) incredible. I feel like there's kind of two versions of it though. So some people think cycle tracking is just like, you know, getting an app like Flow or Clue or whatever and plugging in data. And that's great. You know, I think anytime someone wants to see a practitioner, it means the first thing I ask for people from people is at least three months of data. I want to know every single day, what was your digestion like? Did you have anxiety? Were you bloated? Did you have acne? You know, that's data that any practitioner is going to want. So especially if you want to work with someone at some point, that's important. Start tracking all that. The next level though, is when you start adding in temperatures and observing your cervical mucus as well. That's kind of the key part to what I talked about earlier with determining if you're ovulating. It is so, so, so helpful Um, in terms of really getting an idea of what's going on with your body. You know, a lot of us, as we've said, learned next to nothing about our bodies. Um, Every time I do a post on Instagram, you know, about something like, um, you know, it's normal for your underwear to get bleached because of the acidity of the vagina and, you know, like little things Mm. like that. People are like, what? 
I thought something was wrong with me. And I'm like, (laughs) oh my gosh, we're so misled. Like, this is insane. Um, Starting to understand your body is the first step in really making peace with it. And so the more you start to track and normalize what you're feeling and give yourself the grace of what is my body trying to tell me versus like, oh, my cycle's the worst and I hate my body and it's falling apart or, you know, whatever horrible things we've all said. Yeah. We change the game. We take our power back and we start to observe versus judge. So mm-hmm. if there's one thing you take from this, start tracking your cycle symptoms. I love that. I love that you just said to observe rather than to, you know, go on the what's wrong with me. I can't believe this is so terrible. And that was something that hugely helped me because it allowed me to take a step back and say, okay, I typically feel this way every month around this time. And it helped me to just be able to better anticipate what was coming. And it made it a little bit easier, not to say that it made the symptoms less Mm -hmm. challenging, but it allowed me to take that first step of say, okay, I know what's going to happen. This is typically what happens. These are typically the symptoms that I'm up against. And then it allowed me to like do a check-in with myself to say, what what's been going on? Like, mm-hmm. have I been overly stressed? Have I been adding more overwhelm to my plate? Have I, you know, not been sleeping, not been going to bed early enough? Um, I know another big element for me, and maybe you could talk about this, is exercise. Mm-hmm. I've always been at like move my body, move my body every day of the week. And I didn't quite understand that I was actually making some of my symptoms worse around my cycle because I would just continue to do the cardio and do all the things that I was normally doing. And I would just, it was more like, I don't know if it's a societal thing, but I was like, I should be able to handle this. Mm. Like it's, I'm on my cycle, but this doesn't mean that I can't do these things. And I didn't understand then that like, okay, just lighten up a little bit. Like you've got to be kind to your body and give your body what it needs in order to support itself. So I think movement is definitely a huge part of it too. Um, Do you mind weighing in on that? Yeah. I love your journey with that. And (laughs) you know, I say to people, you can work out smarter, not harder. So like you Mm -hmm. said, you don't need to go to some insane orange theory class or whatever. Um, five days a week to earn whatever you're going to eat or whatever, you know, like the, when we start to peel back, like the, the reasoning behind with these habits are disturbing to me. Um, but like you said, you can learn how to exercise cyclically where you, we look at what your hormones are naturally doing and we work with that. So we kind of work with our biology rather than shoving it to the side, you know, and being like, well, I'm going to do this and then wonder why we don't feel good or why our symptoms are worse or even why we're now gaining weight. So if we're exercising incorrectly, exercising too much, yeah, now we start to plateau. We feel like our progress is moving backwards and it's really upsetting. So like you said, in the follicular and ovulation phases, that's when you can do the cardio. You can go on a run. You can go on a hike, do the things you like. But then that transition into that luteal phase encourages us to do less intense workouts. So this is where strength training especially is perfect for our biology and where we can exercise less intensely, but get just as good of results. Um, Same with into the period phase. You know, what I say to people is, yeah, you're capable of working out. You can go hike a mountain if you want. Like you're just as capable as any other human being, but you don't have to. (laughs) Right. You can rest actually and really take back your power or you can go on a walk. And so it's really shifting our whole mentality around exercise. 
to want to work with our body rather than follow this blind advice that we've all been given that's really designed for male biology. So we can just toss that out. (laughs) I love that. So I think there are so many, you know, you mentioned a couple of small things and I really, I know the biggest thing that my listeners struggle with is the symptoms and feeling like, you know, I'm already struggling with some very um, hard symptoms. Like, you know, they're experiencing dizziness, depersonalization, derealization, um, shakiness, just fatigue, feeling like they're not able to do the things that they, you know, really want to do to support their recovery. What are like what are a couple small things that if people want to start it want to start today that you would recommend as a starting point? I know we've discussed like quite a few things, but if somebody wanted to start today and say, what is the biggest bang for their buck? Like what's the best starting point for somebody who every month says these symptoms are awful. It's running my life and it's making things a whole lot worse and harder for me. Mm-hmm. Mm, there's like so many responses to that question. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about, I think, more of the physical things like the food and even the movement and sleep and all of that. To me, honestly, I think the most valuable moment that any of us can arrive to on our healing journey is that moment where we put our foot down and we say, I will no longer you know, be a victim to these symptoms. or I will no longer let this rule my life. Like I take my power back and I will do anything to help my body heal. Not, notice I didn't say fix my body, but to help yeah. my body heal. So it's that conscious decision um, that unfortunately we all have to get to. Sometimes we have to have these really heartbreaking symptoms before we do arrive to that point where we will do anything, where we will work with a practitioner, we will invest in better food. You know, we'll start making those priorities really, really clear. Um, so I think if you're ready to start today, literally make that decision, take out a piece of paper and really devote to yourself that you are worth this, that you're not broken. Nothing is wrong with you. Now we just have to start to support our body maybe in different ways than we ever had before. And with this information and with this empowerment, choose to do better for our bodies. I love that. That's my soapbox today. <laughs> I love that. No, it's 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 so important because I think a thing that gets lost so much when we're struggling with anything is we're just convinced that there's something wrong with us yeah. and we're convinced that we're broken and especially surrounding the cycle, you know, I can attest being a female, going to the doctors, you typically hear, okay, you're having PMS symptoms. Let's, you can try this hormonal birth control. We can try, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just, it can be really disheartening, especially when that's not the route that you want to go. And especially now, like following people like you, having the knowledge of that's not the only answer. And there are so many other ways that you can support your menstrual health, but also your mental health. And I think just having the education and the knowledge that, you know, there are people like you exist and there are other alternatives and, you know, birth control is not the only option. And there are simple things that you can do to start to help you bring awareness to, you know, what actually happens during your menstrual cycle and little tweaks that you can make and just checking in with yourself and your mind and your body and recognizing that like your body is not fighting you. Your mind's not fighting you. It's not trying to work against you, but you've also got to really pay attention and you've got to listen. And I know for me, it took, 
it was really hard because you're already struggling with something that's so hard. And you're like, I do not need my cycle to make this worse or harder for me. Mm -hmm. But I was really just not listening to my body. I was not giving it the nutrients that it needed. I wasn't moving my body in a way that was supporting it. I wasn't even, I didn't even have the awareness like we talked about, you know, tracking my cycle was such a huge thing that helped me understand like, okay, this is how I'm feeling and there are ways that I can approach this that will help me to to work through this and I'm not going to feel this way every month. But like you said in the very beginning, I just want people to have um, the awareness. If you make changes today, <laughs> if, if people are like, okay, Cassandra, I'm going to dig in, I'm going to take your words of wisdom and I'm going to make the choice and I'm going to start making changes realistically, how quickly could you see relief, anxiety relief in particular, after making some supportive changes? I mean, I can't say if you do this for two months, you will be healed. But (laughs) what I observe with my clients is when we really lay it all out like this, we look at the data, we take these intentional steps forward, usually within a month there's a significant change. So um, that's the other thing. I, I, at one point we were talking about, um, you know, the importance of tracking and I didn't get a chance to say the importance of tracking is also monitoring your progress because we are Mm. funny beings in that we forget how bad it once was. And so if I don't on that first session with people, be like in terms of pain out of 10, how bad is it in terms of anxiety? How bad is it? Because sure enough, three months in, they're like, wow, yeah, this was a great cycle. And I'm like, do you remember how bad it was? Can, can we compare numbers? And they're like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they're significant changes for sure. I'm so glad that you said that because I know, and it's not about, like you said, it's not about finding a fix. It's about working with your body to heal your body and have new approaches. Um, But it's not something that has to take you months and you don't have to continue to struggle. And it is something that you can do on a more holistic level rather than have to look for medicines or God forbid surgeries or Mm -hmm. other alternatives that will likely just make your journey that much harder. Um, So do you, I want to open it. Do you have any other words of wisdom or any other things that you want to share that you think would be beneficial? Hmm. Just permission to know that you are whole as you are right now, that like we've said, you're not broken. And this is a really unique opportunity to get to work with your body to overcome these symptoms. So know that there are so many amazing resources out there and that you are so capable of doing this. I love that. Thank you so much, Cassandra. So I have had so much fun. I've enjoyed our conversation. Um, I am sure we'll see you at some point again on a Healthy Push podcast. But until then, if people want to find and connect with you or want your support, um, where can they find you for more help in welcoming in healthy periods and hormones? Yes, I'm on Instagram at Menstruation Queen. It's where I share a lot of really jaw-dropping, amazing information about our bodies. And then I lead my program, Period Reboot, which helps you, like you just said, get to the root of your hormone imbalances and your period symptoms. And that opens every couple months. So that's on my website, CassandraWilder.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Cassandra. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Healthy Push. If you want more, head on over to ahealthypush.com for the show notes and lots more tips, tools, and inspiration that will support your recovery. And if you're hoping for me to cover a certain topic, be sure to join my Instagram community at A Healthy Push and let me know in the comments what you want to hear next.